Please turn your Bibles with me this morning to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, I am very excited to begin a new series with you this morning called uh, Core. And I'm excited uh, not just because of, of being a new series, but in some ways of this being kind of a new start for Countryside. I, I want to get to the heart of this series in a minute, but before I do, I want to get to the, the why behind the what. And the inspiration for this series was really uh, born out of this picture frame. Uh, some of you might have seen it before. Uh, it usually hangs above the water fountain right outside this door. Uh, but it's also the only place that I know of where our mission and vision statement as a church is readily available and written down. And so I wanted to read our vision statement to you. Countryside Christian Church is a loving community of believers, biblically literate, committed to godly living, and actively reaching the lost. Now there's nothing wrong with this statement in and of itself, except for one thing. I just read it to you, and you probably can't tell me what it says. And I realized that uh, this kind of... It was true of my own life, because uh, I came to an occasion or several occasions where people would ask me about our vision statement, uh, what our vision was as a church, and where do you think I would have to go to find it? Walk down the hall to the picture frame above the water fountain. And I, I realized, you know, if, if I can't remember what our vision statement says as a lead minister, then many of you probably can't remember it either. And so I test my theory. I brought it before our elders one meeting, and I said, can any of you tell me the vision statement? And none of them could. And so I don't say this to our shame as, as pastors or elders or congregants, but rather to say that the best vision statement in the world, if no one can remember it, is probably not going to do much in shaping our vision. And so I, maybe think of it this way. It's a lesson I learned the hard way in college. I just, uh, I remember in college doing a particularly difficult uh, ab workout, you know, this kind of core workout. And the thing about working out is when you're lifting weights or doing those kinds of things, what you're actually doing is creating tiny tears in your muscles to be filled in uh, by different proteins that will grow them bigger and stronger. But the problem is with creating those tiny tears uh, that your muscles don't work really well until those tears heal. And so I remember uh, sitting on my bed in college and going to lie back, and there's this point uh, when you're laying backwards that gravity kind of takes over, and you have to rely on your ab muscles, your core muscles, to, to make up the difference as you lay back. But when you tear those muscles and they're not working really well, what happens is you go to lie back, and you give out about 60 degrees, and you smack your head on the wall. Uh, I've been there. And so I say this because I want to say when your core is weak, everything else falls apart. And so we've spent the last year as a staff and a leadership kind of rethinking our approach to our vision, rethinking what we can do as a church not only to have a vision, but to make sure that each and every one of us can communicate that vision as a part of the church. And so we developed kind of five core values uh, that speak to who we are and who we want to be as a church. And so today we begin, uh, what we begin in this series is, is so much more than just a sermon series, but really a refining of our DNA as a church, of who we are, of what makes us up. And so as it should, it should start with Jesus. The first core value that I want to offer as we define ourselves as a church this morning is this value that Jesus is the center. 
And this isn't just a cute saying to hang on a banner or to orient ourselves around. This is the singular, the most important truth of Scripture. That in the big picture of God's divine rescue plan, that everything that God has ever been doing, Jesus is at the center. So the reason we want this to be one of our, our core values is that we want Jesus to be the center of everything we do, every sermon we preach, every lesson we teach, every program we have, we want to be centered around Jesus. In every sermon I preach, the goal is always to get to Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. And so if the sermon is about love, it should be about Jesus' great love for us that sent him to the cross. If I preach about money, the focus should be about the riches that are available to us because of Jesus' grace. If I preach about hope, the focus should be in the eternally new life and hope that we have in Jesus' resurrection. We want to be a Jesus people centered around Jesus. But the idea of Jesus being the center really shouldn't be new to us. When we read Scripture, we see Jesus whispered and hinted at all throughout the Bible. But there's one place in particular that I want to focus on as we look at Jesus being the center. I want to look this morning at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we see this, what I think is the most powerful and beautiful description of the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus in all of Scripture. If there's one passage in the Bible that tells us we should orient ourselves around Jesus as the center, it's this one. So it begins this morning first, or in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, The Son Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There's a, the first word that kind of leapt off the page to me when reading this is that word image. We are an image-obsessed culture. We are constantly trying to look our best, to put our best for, foot forward, to, to portray and present this flawless presentation of, that we have everything all together all of the time. And so we do different things to, to, to put this image forward. If you don't think that this describes you, think about just how many mirrors you have in your house. There's probably at least one in each bathroom, maybe one above your dresser, maybe a full-length one in your closet. They're probably used as decorations throughout the house. We have image on the mind. Even more so, in today's age, we have things like Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter for those perfectly filtered selfies. You know, you got to get that, that high angle and, you know, hide the double chin. You get that duck face pout, you know, everything to kind of put your best foot forward to, to, to present, you know, put that sparkle in your post-production so that you can put everything forward to somebody who said, girl, you're looking gorgeous today. You know, heart face emoji going on there. And we, we do this because we have image in mind. And when it comes to image, though, we want to obscure as much of our true selves as possible. You know, hide the flaws, hide the, hide the discrepancies between reality and, and the image we want to put forth. But when it comes to the image of God, He doesn't hide behind a mask or a filter. He shows us exactly who He is in Jesus. Many of us picture God as, as kind of this old man in a white robe far removed from us, watching from on high, but the image of God we see in Jesus is not a God who is far off and removed. We see a God who walked where we walk. 
who felt our loss and our pains, who felt our joys and our victories, who felt temptations and fears. Jesus shows us that God isn't far removed. Rather, he came to experience what we experience. And this, I think, is what separates Christianity from all other religions. Even religions that think they follow Jesus, that center themselves around Jesus. You know, Jehovah Witnesses say that Jesus is, is the first created being. That he's kind of a demigod, a half-god, maybe a, a high-ranked angel. Muslims will say that Jesus, yes, is a prophet, but, but an inferior prophet to the prophet Muhammad. Hindus say that Jesus was just one of many enlightened holy men, or even maybe one of thousands of gods. But the cross and the tomb and the supremacy and sufficiency and the centeredness of Jesus throughout Scripture tells us a different story. So the first thing we see that Paul tells us is that Jesus is at the center of everything. Verse 16, he says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is at the center of everything. Most of us probably think of Jesus' presence in Scripture uh, beginning in the New Testament. That The first time we see Jesus arrive on the scene is in a baby in a manger. But we see in reality that Jesus is active from the very beginning of Scripture. From the first page, from Genesis 1, Jesus is there and at work. When creating man, God says, let us us make man in, our, man in our own image and our likeness. And as Christians, looking back through Scripture, we know why God says us, because in that moment, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are all there in Trinitarian form, working together, creating life from nothing. Jesus wasn't born, wasn't created. Jesus has existed as God eternally without beginning or end. And what's more to me is that from the smallest atomic particle, to the greatest of galaxies, Jesus created all of it. What I think is truly amazing is that just as every artist signs his work, God has signed his. There's a galaxy uh, not too far from our own uh, called the Whirlpool Galaxy. I brought a picture of it. And for hundreds of years, as with every galaxy, humanity has been contemplating the stars and astrologers have been positing theories, questioning what is at the center of galaxies? What holds it all together? What prevents it from just spinning wildly out of orbit, flinging off into space? Well, if you know much about science, most of these galaxies, at the center of them, is at least one black hole. This region of space that's so strong and gravitational pull, so powerful that nothing, including light, escapes its pull. Well, 1992, NASA was finally able to get a closer look at the center of this galaxy, some 31 light, light, million light years away, and do you know what they saw? Now, astrologists look at this image and explain it as two dust rings circling a nucleus. But where they see, where they see two dust rings, I see an artist signing his work. 
It's almost as if Jesus is riding through the stars themselves. Don't miss me. Don't miss the cross. Don't forget why I'm here. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see, Jesus wasn't just a man who existed on earth for some 30 years and was left to the pages of history books. He is the creator and sustainer of everything that has ever been or ever will be. Before the foundations of the world, he was there, and at the end of everything, he will be there. Jesus is at the center of everything. But Paul narrows his scope a little bit. Because not only is Jesus at the center of everything, but also Jesus is the center of the church. Verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I love what Paul does here, because we picture you know, this grandeur of God, Jesus as the center of everything. That he has galaxies at his command, atoms under his control, everything hanging on his incomparable power. And where does Jesus focus his energies? What does he surround himself with the church? Honestly, when you think about it, it's not really what you would expect Jesus to do. I mean, why would the God who is outside, exists outside of everything, outside of time and space, who sees what we who has created everything we can see and even what we can't, who created universes and galaxies that could never be possibly seen by human eyes. I mean, who with that kind of power and prominence would concern himself with us? But though Jesus has chosen to place himself at the center of the church, this amazing truth that the God of the universe has concerned himself with us, often that's not quite enough for us. We often orient ourselves around other things. Sometimes as the church, we center ourselves around doctrinal disagreements. I've heard it said, and I think it's probably true, that the church is known more for what it is against than what it is for. And yes, we're called to watch our life and our doctrine closely, but sometimes, sometimes we make doctrinal molehills into divisive mountains and before too long it's easy for us to wall ourselves off as the only true christians but even with his eye on the cross jesus knew the penchant that we have for building walls rather than bridges and so he prayed for the church his church the universal church to be united around him john 17:22, jesus says i'd get i have given them the glory that you have given me that they may be one as we are one, Father, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved, uh, loved them even as you have loved me. Sometimes we center ourselves on our disagreements. In other instances, we center ourselves around politics. It's so easy to let the power structures of the world creep into the church. We forget that we are centered on Jesus, and so we fret and fear the power of the Oval Office or the Supreme Court. It's easy to become more focused on making America great again than making Jesus famous. And we think if we can only get the right people in the right offices or the right places, the right positions, then everything will be as it's supposed to be. 
But why center ourselves around presidents or parties when we can claim the king of kings as our head? Of course, maybe the most often thing we center ourselves around are our own preferences. We come to a service and we say, you know, the sermon was too long or there was not enough Bible, not enough story, not enough humor, too much story, too much humor. You know, the music was too loud or too soft or too old or too new. And I as much or probably more than anybody can get wrapped up in this trap, this way of thinking. But I was stopped in my tracks by a quote I saw the other week. It says a random churchgoer often says, I didn't really like worship today. And Francis Chan said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you anyway. See, whenever we fall into the trap of letting our preferences dictate our focus, we cease being a church and we start being an idol. And I don't know about you guys, but even if the alternatives weren't doctrinal fights or political squabbles or personal preferences, I'd much rather be centered around Jesus. I'd much rather have his fullness and his reconciliation and his peace than the other junk that we can dominate our focus with. And so church, today, let this be the day where we draw our line in the sand, where we put our stake in the ground that says from this day forward we hold to Jesus as our center. But of course, if Jesus is the center of everything and Jesus is the center of the church, then the logical conclusion isn't uh, another statement, but rather a question. Not a declaration, but a response. Not another Jesus is, but an is Jesus. Because if Jesus is the center of everything and Jesus is the center of the church, is Jesus the center of your life? Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I love this narrowing in scope that Paul continues to make. I mean, he zooms in from the cosmic level that Jesus is the center of everything. That he created everything that we behold with our eyes and even what we don't. That he's at the center of galaxies then sent them all spinning in orbit. And he takes a step down from there and says that God of the universe, Jesus, yeah, he wants to be in the center, not just of everything, but specifically of the church. He wants to be the center of the body of believers that have chosen to trust him. But then one step further, Jesus who spins galaxies like plates and is the nucleus of the global group of followers wants to be the center of your life too. So the question we we ask ourselves is will we let him? Once you are God's enemy, You were Jesus' enemy. You fought and rebelled against him, but he would rather die than to destroy you. And so he did. He died for you. And all of your sin and all of your rebellion and all of your shame and all of your guilt, Jesus took all of that upon himself so that in his perfection he could pay the death penalty so that we could walk free. And Paul says that all of that can be ours if we continue in our faith. 
established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. In other words, all of that can be ours if we center our lives on Jesus. As we discussed these core values of the last year, there's one phrase that came out of the discussion that I really, really love. It's the phrase, full devotion to Christ is normal. Full devotion to Christ is normal. And I love that because what we mean by that is that there's no such thing as a Christian whose life is not centered around Jesus. You can't have Jesus as your co-pilot. He has to be the pilot. You can't have him coaching from the sidelines. Jesus didn't die so that you could play tag team and say, Jesus, this one's getting a little tough for me. You're in. Jesus has to be the center. Because without him, everything falls apart. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But this is a truth that you don't have to travel 31 million light years in space to see. In fact, it's a truth that's closer than you could imagine. Again, I'm a preacher, not a scientist, not a molecular biologist. But in the cell of every animal and person, there's a cellular matrix that holds all of our stuff together. And the main component of that matrix is called laminin. I know getting sciencey on you is really lighting the fire of Jesus, but bear with me. Laminin is something that's characterized as a cell adhesion molecule. In other words, laminin is like the rebar and the foundation of a building. It's the, the glue of the human body. And laminin is the molecule that literally holds our bodies together. And I get, like I said, I know this is probably not inspiring revival within you, but I think maybe if you could see laminin, it might make an impact. The cell adhesion molecule, the glue that holds our cells together, our tissues, our organs, our skin together, looks like this in a scientific diagram. In fact, to look at an actual laminin protein, the very molecule that holds our bodies together on an electron microscope looks like this. From the center of a galaxy 31 million light years away to the very proteins that hold our cells together, we see evidence of the artist who has signed his work. The one who holds all things together, the one at the center, Jesus. And at Countryside, we want to be centered around Jesus. We want the core of who we are to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And at Countryside, we want the core of who you are to be Jesus. For some of us, that might mean making Jesus the center of our lives in a personal way. The God who sends galaxies spinning in orbit and the God who holds our very bodies together wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you so badly that the God of the universe stepped aside from his immortality and clothed himself in physicality. And he walked where we walk, and he died the death that should have been ours so that we could live eternally with him. And so this morning, if you have not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as the center of your life, I want to encourage you to do that. For us as a church, I want this to do, today to be a springboard 
Not that we haven't been about Jesus in the past, not that this is something new to us, but rather this is a point that we can look back on, like I said, our line in the sand, our stake in the ground, and say this is all about Jesus. And if it is not surrounding ourselves, if we are not surrounding ourselves with Jesus, let us cease what we are doing and orient ourselves around Him. Let the core of who we are be Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I'm excited for what the next few weeks hold. As we can continue to discuss our identity as a church, the vision that we have of who we want to be and, and who we are, and the things that we value above other things that are valuable but not quite things we want to dominate our focus with, God, I pray that you would light a fire within us, beginning with Jesus. God, I pray that in our lives, we would center ourselves around you. That this wouldn't be a, a Sunday thing or, a, or a, a once a week thing, but rather that full devotion to you would be normal in our lives. God, I pray that we would surround ourselves with you and that we would surround you with our lives, that you would be at the core of who we are. And God, I pray for those in this room that have not done this with their lives, that they would realize the truth that you want a relationship with them. That the God of the universe in all his grandeur and glory wants to know us personally. God, that's an amazing truth that we can't begin to comprehend. But we see it in the cross. We see that you would rather die than live without us. We see that love we see that grace, we see that hope. And God, I pray that that image, whether it be in a galaxy 31 billion, million light years away or in the proteins that hold us together, that it would be the thing that we rally around as a symbol of your love and your pursuit of us. God, I pray that we would always make Jesus the center of everything. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.